overwhelmed, Bretto. It is perhaps the number one challenge our Wellness Couch listeners face. It's also the number one reason why many listeners can't get to our live events. Well, we have listened to our listeners and we are putting on our first online event, Release Your Overwhelm. So exciting, MP. Put Saturday, November 23 in the calendar. Log in from your phone or your TV or your laptop anywhere in the world and tune in to... Kim Morrison. Brett Hill. Marcus Pierce, Wendy Stewart. And Jason Witten. Release your overwhelm about time, relationships, money, your body, and most importantly, you. Access is just $10 and available at releaseyouroverwhelm.com. Book in now at releaseyouroverwhelm.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And today we have an absolute treasure Pardon the pun on the show. <laughs> I thought you'd like that, Cindy. I do like that, Karen. <laughs> we have an absolute treasure on the show with us, a spectacularly beautiful woman. And we just, I have to say to you guys, i we just all connected before the show um, where we could see each other online on video and I felt like I was looking in the mirror. It was a really strange feeling. But when I think about this woman's life and her background and what she's doing, Um, you know, I think she's living a life that I would aspire to. Mm. So we are very, very blessed to have the amazing Rachel Treasure as our guest today, who um, really specializes in regenerative regenerative agriculture. She's an author um, and, and, you know, just an absolute wonder woman. And we're very, very excited to to welcome you to the show, Rachel. Thank you for being a part of it today. It's my joy. Thank you. So, Rachel, can I just start, before we get into it, it's Kim here, and I am really excited alongside these girls. And But before we get into the juice of what you're actually up to in this day and age, could you give us a brief background on who you are for those that haven't heard from you or of you, and what you do on a daily basis to bring you to this moment? <laughs> well, I guess I'm a fifth-generation Tassie girl, so I was born and bred in Tassie, and that meant an upbringing where we had a form of life that really was um, very basic. We would live off the land, so vegetables, flathead fishing and crayfish out of pots. This is all, all action with my grandmother who was also a writer. So I had this sense of farming that was integrated and it was whole and it was very much family oriented. So I sort of grew up in, in that way. And because Granny was a writer, I always um, wrote, right, since I could, like I've still got my 1976 news journals, you know. So, um, And I guess writing and farming is just it's so it's so intertwined I guess because you, you kind of got to find pathways that aren't mapped clearly so there's this essence within me that wants to explore things and also wants to share story because I believe story is so important so basically from that place of that upbringing I instead of you know I 
went against my parents' wishes and I went Jillarooing instead of going off to get a university degree. And from Jillarooing, um, I ended up discovering a whole world of agriculture that was in rapid change. I wanted to write about it. So I studied agriculture at Orange Ag College, the agricultural college that is now pretty much no more. Um, and then I studied communication at Charles Sturt University in Bathurst. And what I was witnessing was, as a young woman, the absence of women within the, the shape of the national psyche, really. There were city-centric politics um, that I was studying in my thesis and also looking at how farming was kind of portrayed to the city folk as sort of stereotype and cliche and that continues so as a as a young woman back then I really wanted to impart uh, my storytelling um onto <laughs> onto um you know as many people who would read me so fast forward um to my first novel Jillaroo that came out in 2002 it changed the face of the Australian publishing scene so Jillaroo woke the publishers up to the fact there was a massive readership over the Great Divide and um, I guess the chook lit genre boomed from there. However, as a writer, I didn't see myself as, as writing romance. I saw myself as writing about contemporary rural issues, which is what I've some, it's something I've continued to do right up until now and talking to, to you. It's interesting, Rachel. I um, I was one of those people on the other side of the divide, um, travelling around Australia for two years, and I very much got into the writing that you started in 2002 with Jillaroo. And my favourites were Nothing Prepared Me in the Middle of Nowhere. Um, I, I read Kidderman's work. And I just... I, I, I didn't realise that those stories were preparing me for where I am today. So with your um, education and your study of agriculture and journalism and working as Jillaroo, do many of the characters that you write about, are they like people that you met and would you like to explain one of those characters? Well, yes. I mean, I always feed my novels with life around me and I, I'm you know, regenerating land with my partner Daniel and my children. So that that note, that witnessing of land and soil biology coming alive, that gets fed right throughout my stories. But I guess I'm closest to the the latest book, White Horses, which I've been talking about to people around the nation. And the reason I love um, that book so much is because of the characters. So my my main character drift that's driftwood that's her nickname she's 21 and she's motherless her mother's been lost at sea but what i wanted to get within the body of the work was the fabulous older female characters now what mm-hmm. disney and other modern forms of storytelling have done. They've divided women, so hence shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and they've also taken away this the innate wisdom that we have within us. So there's that Cinderella story. So that we've, what fairy tales have also done is painted the old woman as the crone or the wicked witch. So my characters in, in White Horses are Charlie Weatherborn. She's a mobile saddler and she has such bush wisdom. She's, she's connected to the ancient um, flow of the landscape and she shapes Driftwood's um, 
destiny as a, as a young woman. The other woman who I've written about is an elderly librarian. She's a mobile librarian called Wilma and her background comes from the, the Second World War era, but she also holds such wisdom. So there, I guess, the cluster of those three women um, are at the moment, you know, foremost in my heart because mm. they're influencing my readers to see the beauty of ageing and the wisdom that comes with it and the power that comes with it and also my lovely character Drift who faces the modern world with technology and screens and she finds um, her education from the older women in the landscape. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm so blessed to have these imaginary friends that traipse around me with me while I'm in the paddock. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you studied um, agriculture, I, I assume that was before 2002? Uh, yes, it was. It was, uh, it was way back in 1988 and 89 and I'd come fresh from Tasmania where farming systems hadn't yet sort of developed to the large scale that they had on, on what we call the mainland. <laughs> so would you have been blindsided by what you were learning about yield as opposed to what, what is now regen farming? Were you, did, were you blindsided by that when you were being taught that? Oh, absolutely. We weren't taught any form of, um, we were never taught the native grass grass species. I'm a grasslands enthusiast. As, as we all know, grassland can sequester more carbon. It's just the most powerful um, function on the planet is to have a healthy grassland. But we, wouldn't, we were only taught the British varieties. We were only taught about profits. Um, the other thing to that, on our farm tours, I saw rice being grown in areas where rice shouldn't have been grown and I saw vast expanses of cotton. And remember, this is, the, this is 1988. This is a long time ago. <laughs> the other thing that struck me was this incredible erosion throughout the landscape. Now, this is 30 years ago. So what I've witnessed is this buy-up of infrastructure and water and this shaping of food which and seed, which is a, a, a woman's right to have access to is soil, seed and pure food and water. And I say women because the Mother Earth is a feminine energy. So, so in my 30 years, I've, I've just witnessed this demise of the ecology and, and it's now evident in Tasmania on a massive scale. So even though we think Tasmania's clean and green, we're um, desertifying this little island um, through harsh industrial practices um, more, more quickly than what I was witness to 30 years ago. So it's really quite extraordinary. Um, and that's what gives me the excitement and the power to write because moving forward, Regen Ag is the answer to a lot of these social and economic um, issues. Could I just interrupt one second there and before you go further with, with the conversation where it's going, Rachel, we just did a workshop on the weekend and um, with, the, with eight of us all speaking and it was all about health and wellness and one of the feedbacks said that um, it appeared that we had um, not supported the medical profession. So I want to ask you, from your point, and it wasn't that we didn't support it, we just challenge it and we question it. I want to ask your point of view from an agricultural point of view, because of course there must be positives to agriculture. Could you give us um, your 
holistic viewpoint of the benefits of what agriculture is doing and where we could be doing this better? Yeah, well, basically, oh, you know, it's, it's one of these things. There is so much chemical input going into our systems and studies in the United States have shown there's, um, there is glyphosate in every woman they tested, their breast milk. It, and glyphosate is a really common, the council spray it, farmers spray it. Um, it, it don't, you, I can't even begin to imagine um, the, what, the impact. But having said that, I don't want to be fear-mongering um, because that's where Regen Ag is exciting. But what I've been learning, I studied, I studied a lot with, um, you know, just as a mum, as you do, you listen to podcasts or you put something on while you, you're um, creating dinner. And um, so Dr. Bruce... Uh, Lipton, uh, the biology of belief, that really changed my whole perspective on how we are intricately connected. Our thoughts are connected to our cells and our cells are connected to the cells of other living things. So Dr. Joe Dispenza, he's a neuroscientist as well. And once you study um, quantum science and how that we are actually all vibrational energy and plants are and so so is soil. Once you understand that, then you really understand that you can't do harm in the way that we are doing without it impacting the very essence of the, these living organisms. So basically 95% of the earth's life is held within the soil. Now, in one teaspoon of healthy soil, there's something like 6 billion living organisms. That's healthy soil. We don't have healthy soil in modern industrial practices because we've been at war with it. We kill everything to grow one crop and then we prop it up with the products of war. So things like the phosphates that we, that we had as a surplus of when World War II ended. So there are these systems and cycles that are actually damaging the internal flora of our, of our being. And when I say internal flora, I've read recently that we're one part human um, DNA and cells and one part intelligent system of other other creatures, so like your bacteria and flora and gut flora. So, so when you're ingesting plants, they're, they're kind of cycling in this intelligent system that we, we're not even aware of. So when we surrender to mother's mother nature's intelligent system and farm within those requirements that she dictates, then everything gets healthy. Everything. And the, the the happy thing is, we know as Regen farmers how to do this. The challenge is is changing mindset, which brings us back to storytelling, which is what I do and why I do it. Oh, I can see why you do it, Rachel, because you're probably getting to a, a, um, a group of people that are reading a novel and not realising what information they're actually getting by obviously your research um, and your love of what's happening. So what I heard from Kim's question was at the moment with chemical agriculture, there's nothing good. D did I get that answer from you? Um yeah, pretty much. But the, excuse me, the the way around, you know, farmers aren't even aware that these things are dangerous. They it, on the packaging and everything, it tells them they're sa it, things are safe. But I know that um, you, as a woman, you have this innate inner wisdom, and you'd know that 
it, these things aren't safe. And I've got I've got a stack of books beside my bed here by Dr. Christiane Northrup, who is an American obstetrics and gynaeco- um, a, a gynaecologist from America, but she's moved more into educating women not to be fearful of our bodies because that's what that's what uh, modern health systems do. They they fear monger, and it's also what. On the other hand, in agriculture, they fear monger. You're at war. You have to kill the weed. It's, you know, you have to be frightened by these pests. And none of that is actually true. None of it is true. Um, but changing people's awareness, that's the hard thing because neurologically we go down the same pathways every day. And unless you shake those pathways up through a crisis or through conscious choice and, say, a practice like daily meditation and waking up, to what it actually is, then you can tune out from that fear-mongering and start collectively as a consciousness, all of us moving forward. And I, th- I believe it's, it's the women in agriculture who need to find their voice, which, trust me, I know how hard that is. Um, they need to find their voice to, to kind of move this holistic system and framework forward from scrapping the old economic model to one that values ecology first and foremost um yeah, these these patriarchal systems that we we have to function in we didn't even have the vote when these systems were set up so yeah so i guess it's a, it's a long <laughs> a long answer to a short question i can't see any i can see the good in technology in agriculture but i can't see any good in use of chemicals mm. um yeah, and it'll take a while for us to to wean ourselves off those. So, when you said that the biology of belief was your turning point, um, so had when you went to university, did you just go with the flow and went, okay, this is the way agriculture is; it's all changed, or did you buck the system while you were at university? And and how did Bruce? Um, the biology belief change your belief about because he doesn't really talk about agriculture, does he? He he talks about the mind. So how did that then leapfrog into agriculture and and what you write about in your beautiful stories? Yeah, well, I guess um, I was raised in a very male dominated family, so I was raised to be to consider myself on a subconscious level less less than. I was subservient. I, I describe myself as a, um, a pillow plumper to men's emotions. That's how I was raised. You have the head of the household um, and everything has to be quiet while the news is on, dinner has to be on the table and hot at, you know, at, at 8 o'clock. That was how I was raised. So when I went through ag college, I just um, really lost myself in a sense of um, the, the men you know, it was, it's such a male dominated area and in industry. So I, I wasn't so much emulating males, but I was observant to them. And what I'd learned, even though I didn't have a voice because I didn't give myself a voice, if you spoke up in your, in my family, you were in trouble. So I use writing, which is silent, but it is very, very powerful. And so I would use writing as a means to A, understand this world around me and be to put stories out there that would change my own consciousness and change the reader's consciousness. And I think with 
the other thing added to that, and we talked about it a little bit before, was that the fear that is generated to women, you know, the fact you have um, breasts, you have to be scared of them. And it's just, I think once I learnt um, that the biology of belief where you can actually change your body chemistry through, through your belief systems, I felt so empowered with that. And I felt I wanted to impart that to my children. So I have a, a teenage girl and a teenage boy and I wanted to raise them with that awareness and break the pattern, this family pattern that had been handed down, that, that women were less and people are powerless against their own health outcomes. I wanted to empower my children and empower my readers and, of course, myself as well. You know, I always think, I always think that one of the most powerful things that we can do is to discover something for ourselves and then go and share that with the world. Um, and it's, it's really interesting what you're saying because as you're talking about, you know, how disempowered women have been over the ages, um, you know, I look at the different generations of my mom and my grandmother and even my older sister and I, and I look at that um, with, I, I, I'm just going to say it, I look at that with so much fury <laughs> and I'm just being really honest and listeners I hope I don't offend anybody by what I'm saying here but I do I feel incredibly furious that there has been this patriarchal society of suppression of women where in fact women um, are the are the mental emotional and spiritual strength behind the men who are the physical strength and they have we all have our place like there's a there's a necessity for both and without both the world doesn't function and I feel so furious that that um, has played out in so many different areas of life and now that you're telling me that it's so prolific in agriculture which is where it's about mother nature as you say and it's about nurturing how the hell one did we get here and how big is this issue and how much work do you really have to do and how many of us need to rise to create this change? Like what's it going to take? Because yeah, this well, is ridiculous. Yeah, well, I do think too what I've discovered in recent years as I've softened towards myself, I've also learnt that men are suffering under these patriarchal systems. Like my partner, Daniel, he's one of the softest. I call them the brotherhood of, good, of kind men. The brotherhood of kind men are out there and oh, they're suffering beautiful. too. But I think they're mm. finding their feet and finding their voice as well. And, and so I think it's a matter of not being anti-something because as I, as I kind of showcase in, in many of the themes of my novels, if you're anti-something, that's only feeding energy towards us. If you're looking at it from a quantum science and a belief point of view, my, what I, where we sit with agriculture is we are at this fantastic crossroads where we have the power of the internet. So information is being exchanged by farmers and who aren't, who are suddenly waking up. We, they're suddenly waking up. And I w we were, we're being swamped with inquiry at the minute about how do we convert to regenerative farming principles. So I think there is, yes, there's a past fury and anger, but if we can channel that fury and anger towards a, a, 
a love and expansion of self and we open our hearts towards a, a new future, then, then that energy will, will lift us all along. Um, and how did we get there? We've adopted British systems where land and children and women were owned, whereas we need to go back to our Indigenous cultures that insisted, rightly so, that Mother Nature comes first. I love that explanation and I think that there are, I think you're right, I think there are so many gentle souls and so many nurturing souls, be it male or female, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of that, that harmony between masculine and feminine um, that will bring about the healing that's required. I just sometimes I just get so curious as to where this started in the beginning and whether it was religion or politics or ancient Egypt, who knows, but I <laughs> oftentimes I just I just feel like, you know, we we work so hard to um to what's the word? It's almost like we work so hard to claim what is very naturally and innately balanced. Um where it should have always been that way. Uh, does that make sense? Because it's an innate and a very natural harmony between the masculine and the feminine, which makes everything work. And it's almost like we're fighting for what already is. And I don't think fighting is the right word. Acknowledging. Acknowledging is acknowledging a better word? Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah I, I think there's an awareness in all of us that we are intricately connected with everything. So I have a, a beautiful farmer friend called Colin Sice from Golgong, and he's mentored me over the last decade or more. And he came up with a practice called pasture cropping, which means you never have to lay Mother Earth bare again. She hates being naked, um, which is what we do. We, we lay her bare with um, overgrazing. We lay her bare with machinery and also you know, with, with ploughing. It's just, yeah. So Colin, Colin talks about ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia. I can't even say that. You know that place, Mesopotamia. See, I'm Tasmanian as. <laughs> Mesopotamia. Yes, thank Mesopot- you. Mesopotamia. Oh, that should be a, a tongue twist. You've got to say it eight times and then, I don't know, <laughs> have a nip of gin. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> so, so, so good old Colin Size. He's, he thinks that we were doing it wrong from the outset because if you look at those continents have now desertified and this is what we're doing in Australia. With regenerative farming and also I have to say for people who don't know what regenerative farming is, it's basically getting your soil biology so alive and your ecology, many your insects, your birds, your plant life, everything comes alive. So you're collecting solar energy, putting it into the ground. You're also harvesting as much moisture. You don't need rain. You need dew and you need mist to keep those small water cycle systems functioning on your landscape. So so Collins pioneered pasture cropping technique and he's also written this fabulous manuscript that I'm hoping will be published very soon that sort of shows where we've gone off track as, as whitefellas in this landscape and how we can bring it back to those functioning grasslands. On top of that as well is um, I, my partner Daniel and my son Charlie, Charlie's 14, we went to do a four-and-a-half-day course uh, east of Canberra at the Maloon Institute. Now, for people who'd watch Australian Story, there was a fella called Peter Andrews who worked out that you had to how to rehydrate He's figured it out in the last 20 years. 
So what Maloon Institute is doing is teaching farmers how to rehydrate landscape. So looking at those landscape systems, they are all based on Indigenous knowledge. So the Aboriginals knew how this continent functioned and they showed it in their Aboriginal artwork. So what, what Maloon is trying to do is to marry that Indigenous wisdom with um, modern farmers and just to say what this, the, these hay drives, this drought, this, this is all manufactured by white man settlement and by bringing ancient wisdom and knowledge back to the landscape, we can really thrive holistically as, as community. So there's some really exciting things happening, really exciting. But it means bringing wisdom and the ancient back into our mindset. Are you saying, Rachel, then, if I'm hearing you right, that we we could actually heal our droughts in this country, that if we went back to regenerative farming, that everyone talking about having a lack of rain is the problem. You're saying that dew and mist which would come through plants and obviously having the, the land not laid bare. Are you saying we could solve our problems in this country, this vast, vast land, simply, I say simply, but by returning to regenerative farming? Um, my belief is yes. My belief is yes. However, we have to get this notion of uh, self and human greed out of the way and how you do that, I do not diminishing what people are suffering. I've just um, toured with white horses to the Darling Downs and Urala and um, Tamworth and Armidale and it's it's a dead zone out there. If we were to harness federal government funding to put in the natural sequence farming methods and if we were to practice regenerative farming principles, which is never to lay the the earth bare, um, increase soil biology so that it thrives, we would would still endure dry times, but we certainly wouldn't endure drought and we would be building our soil. You can actually build soil within a really short space of time. We know how to do this. So it's a matter of, you know, using story to wake people up, um, to, you know, open mindsets and open hearts. Uh, so, yes, I mean, without diminishing the suffering that is going on at the moment, because I know there's, there's massive campaigns for drought aid and so on, I believe if those funds were channelled into farmer education about these principles and if they were allowed to walk on regen farms that are thriving, it, yeah, they would really get it. I mean, in Tassie here, we've had a really, really poor winter. Dan and I are practising regenerative farming what is happening over our fence line, it's striking and you can see there's a difference. And so we've got Greening Australia coming on board, Landcare Australia, University of Tasmania are looking to study what we're doing. Um, and Colin Sice has had, he's got universities from around Australia knocking on his farm door to study his soil. So it's, they're exciting times, really exciting times. It's just a matter of how fast we adopt these practices. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more, Rachel. You know, I read um, The Biggest Estate on Earth by Bill Gamage and Dark yeah. Emu by Bruce Pascoe and it changed everything for me uh, with regards to, number one, the Australian Aboriginal people and their unbelievable ability to keep this land for them for 60,000 plus years for them to survive and here we have been here 200 years and, you know, Half the the dirt is in New Zealand at the moment because of our 
our agriculture. The issue that I'm seeing is like 60 Minutes was on recently and it was all about glyphosate and it was the townies versus the the farmers. And while we have um, the president of the Australian Federation of Farmers, who is a female, um, talking about the glories of glyphosate, (laughs) while there are 50,000 people in the US now um, that are plaintiffs in the suing of Monsanto and Bayer for glyphosate. So I feel like I hear you and I just feel like it's a, such a small percentage. When you have the Australian Federation of Farmers president saying that glyphosate was the best thing that ever happened to us because we don't have to till the land and that they have no alternative, I feel like we're fighting something that um, it's like in the health world. You're throwing antibiotics into people and painkillers and that they're all addicted to and um, nobody's getting it. Nobody realises that it's the soil that gives us the food that allows us to eat so we can be healthy. But everyone's buying these packaged foods with additives and preservatives and glyphosate probably already in the food. Like you said, it's in every pregnant woman's urine. Yeah. Um, what, I want to hear your voice higher. You know, you are an amazing storyteller. How do we get your voice? Actually, what I'd like to say is Rachel for Prime Minister. (laughs) I I would miss my sheep too much. (laughs) I just love my sheep. We have have these beautiful aloe burn palmerino sheep and they've been bred over 30 years to be suited to Australian conditions so you don't have to mule them. Now, mulesing is the brutal practice where you have to cut the skin off their rear ends as little lambs and and Daniel and I refused to do that. So if I was PM, I would not get to enjoy those beautiful little aloe burn palmerinos because they're just they're, they're they're my delight. What what it my my latest book White Horses that hit the bestseller list. It was number nine at entry level and then it climbed to number eight last week. And so that as as a mama, mama, I don't want to exhaust myself on that. There's so much fear. I will drive past spray rigs. I drove past spray rigs this morning and I can smell the, the mm. glyphosate coming in the car window. That I don't want to, as we've talked about the biology of belief, I don't want to steer my thoughts down that path. What I want to do is focus on the farmers that are doing this. We've got Gabe Brown in America who's mm. multi-species cover cropping. He looked over the fence line, saw what Mother Nature was doing, thought, oh, I'm going to do that too, but I'm going to do it with vegetables that we can eat and food that we can, you, you know. So, mm. uh, And I'm going to look at Grant Sims who's in Victoria and he's with the No-Till Cropping Organisation. We're getting more and more young people into this industry and, you know, the strike for climate change with young people. We are, mm. The younger generation are onto this. They are onto this big time and I think that's where we need to support them, nurture them, get them onto the land and give them hope. And um, I'm more than happy to do that through my storytelling. And Jill Aroo, I think, I had one lady at Henty Machinery Field Days. She said she taught, was, felt like a total outsider back in 2002. She was the only woman working Kelpies in a, in a sale yard that was dominated by men. She read Gillaroo. She felt okay about herself. Now that she goes into the sale yard, there's women everywhere. Now, you mentioned the National Farmers Federation. It's important as women that we don't emulate men in these systems. That is key. We have to emulate the gentle, feminine, nourishing people that we are. 
um, you know, and getting onto nourishment, it, you know, I know we've fought long and hard to be equal with men and to have equal pay and out, you know, my colleague, Dr. Fred Provenza, who's formerly with Utah State University, he studies animal behavior. Now, women and and females in any other animal kingdom species, we're the one that hold the, 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 the nutritional wisdom. So when I watch my Palmerino use um, with their lambs, they're the ones teaching the lambs what to eat, what not to eat, how much to eat. As women, we, we have this responsibility inbuilt within us. So you mentioned sort of prepackaged food. I, I, I believe we, we live in a pure food famine because as a mum trying to shop for my kids even in a place like Tasmania it is so hard to find food that is pure so we try and grow as much of our own as we can so you know it no no thank you to politics I won't go there it, my voice is louder purer clearer if I'm an author telling stories from a place of freedom well, we'll make sure that all of our listeners, well, they'll have heard this and they'll all be onto it, I know, it because we, we love to talk about this stuff. We just, we feel the same way, I, and I hope I'm speaking for Kim and Karen, we feel exactly the same way. Um, and even though we've entered it in different fields, like I've entered it from nutrition, Kim's entered it from plants and essential oils, um, she has her own business with essential oils, and then Karen has entered it from, you know, mind and spirit. But it all seems to come back to that regenerative um, farming and what our food eats, whether that be a plant or an animal. I'm uh, listening at the moment to the Earth um, Child series again. I read it when I was in my 20s and I'm back going through it again, the um, Clan of the Cave Bear, the Mammoth Hunters, those ones. Yeah. And, you know, the cultures and the traditions and the, you know, the uh, celebrations and the ceremonies that uh, had an evenness between the men and the women. And, and I've heard that if when women and men are equal in status in a society, there's usually no war. It's usually when that status changes. Can you speak um, about that? Have you done some study on that or have you written anything about that um, inequality and the war versus the equality and no war? Yeah, well, I guess um, you study you study animals daily. We we mob graze our animals, meaning we move them on every day, so the ground gets the rest. And and we like to leave our older mothers in with 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 every because they're the matriarchs. And when you do when you have a matriarchal culture, if you if you look at any animal in society that has a matriarch, it's usually more um, peaceful and it, it functions better. Um, so yes, I've certainly studied it from an animal behaviour point of view. I've also studied it. I I read um, a course in miracles, and I don't know if anyone's actually picked that book up to try and read. It's taken me three years to get through it. It's the most wordy, convoluted. But what it did was unpack my subconscious programming that religion taught me, which was you know we are separate from um, Mother Nature. Our mythology. With the Garden of Eden, it's we're the only we're the only Western culture that has us thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Therefore, mm. we're separate from nature. So I have looked at those kinds of notions and studied them um, 
extensively really because that the core of it again though I will not sit in victim status I refuse to do that so my own personal journey which we we've not really delved into but I I came from my childhood farm where I grew up uh, exploring I knew you know grassland there was native grasses everywhere kangaroo grass wallaby grass diaper this beautiful grassland I'd ride my pony all through it when it came time I came back to raise my kids there when it came time that I knew I needed a divorce because it wasn't healthy for the children and I my father opted to keep my ex-husband on my childhood farm and today to this to this today they remain there so I've come through I had to start financially again at the age of 40 being a writer being a single mother for about three months time we were homeless until I found a female bank manager who would give me a loan for a crappy little house that we froze in but I've been on this 10-year journey so that now I'm 50 I have the most fabulous fiance my teenage children are divine so I've come full circle as a woman to see that I can't sit in fear well I refuse to sit in fear I refuse to sit in victimhood I want to forge a way forward as a human, not so much based on my gender, but on what I can do for my community around me. So, you know, there's, there is that learning to be a woman in your own cycle of life, mm. which happens to every woman, I think. But um, mine has been particularly that catalyst of not being able to share that landscape with my children. Um, has been that's been the catalyst for me to move forward in the most positive way I can possibly. Mm. Um, you said that your husband and your um, father, or your ex-husband and your father, are um, still on the land. Are they doing regenerative farming? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Um, and that's you know that's the thing. When I was a child, we had quolls and numbats and tassie devils and um, we had little ringtail possums and brushtail possums and mm. wallabies and, you know, it was on oh, the bird life was extraordinary. And the Christmas beetles, these divine little shiny Christmas beetles. So, and I, we had a veggie garden, so I worked closely with soil. I just adored that life and the smell of it. Um, but... I'm, you know, the important thing about what's happened is my children get contrast. They, they, they see on one farm the animals see a human and run for the hills. On the other farm the animals see a human and they just flock towards you. So they're seeing two different forms of farming side by side. And so my kids get the best education of choice and, you know, so, yes. And, and it's... After reading the Course in Miracles, judge not. You know, just judge not. We're all on our own journey. So. The, the problem, though, with I know it's hard. That, like I love um oh who is it um um Byron Katie. Oh, I love Byron goes, Katie. Yeah, yeah Byron Katie. My daughter, yeah, on the on the drive to school this morning, I was saying, oh. whose business is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're on Earth. People judge. You know, she yeah. she does these things all the time. But I just. I've, I find that it's really hard not to look at people who are complaining about the drought, complaining about their health, complaining about their life, but their thoughts are negative, they eat crap food, and their agriculture is chemical. 
you know, it's, it's, I, I, I haven't done the Course in Miracles. The other two have. They have read yeah. it. I can, I'm like amazed by No, no, no. Oh, Let's just yeah. reframe that. No, no. Karen just told me it took her 25 years to understand it. There's a yeah. long way for me to go. I know, right? <laughs> I love it though. I yeah. don't. I get yeah, yeah. this. I do get this happened. I, I know I can, you can only change yourself. You cannot change anybody else. And then by example, we may be able to influence family and friends. But it's, when you, when you want to be an activist or you want to, like I love your way of doing it, it's through story. Uh, and, and I think that that's why authors must write, especially things that are, are well-researched, you know, like Peter Fitzsimmons, his research and what he's done and, um, and the other authors we've all talked about, they do their research to... I now understand to tell a story that they're so passionate about. And I only just realised that with you, Rachel. <laughs> there you go. I just thought they did the research, they write about it and they move on. But oh, Well, mine, I feel, is a real calling and I've been put in this position, you know. And it's, it's the same as the, the three of you, beautiful women, what you're doing with podcasts. I mean, podcasts have changed my world because when you turn on the news and it's the catalogue of disasters, I can now really be super selective. And, and you know, in those dark days where I was um, literally, you know, I had no, I was living off a of book advance and for Australian, you know, the average Australian author income, the ASA, did, the Australian Society of Authors, I think they said it was, you know, it's $12,000 annual income down from 22000 10 years ago. So, you know, the kids and I, luckily we're Tasmanian, we know how to live off the, off the <laughs> land and live frugally. But yeah, it's it's been podcasts of positivity that have got me through. So mm. we have great capacity as humans to rewire our brains. And that's what we're doing when we create, which is what you're doing with beautiful podcasts. So Rachel, there you go. Rachel, we have a beautiful soul here on the coast who's now in her mid-90s called Jacqueline, who we've interviewed on our show many moons ago. And we've all seen her and we all know her. She's a psychologist, she's a kinesiologist, a spiritualist and all sorts of amazing things and has particularly helped myself through some tough times. And she has a belief that, unfortunately, the feminist movement, whilst it's had many positive um, attributions and, and wonderful outcomes, she also believes that we're our own worst enemy. The fact that women are on the the front line of, of wars, the fact that women are trying to run countries, um, even play rugby, and I'm not diminishing that. I think it's wonderful that they want to, but her opinion was women trying to do these masculine things is, first of all, taking away from what they're really good at, uh, but secondly, also leaving men wondering who the hell are they and what can they do. <laughs> what is your opinion on that and how would you like to see us because a lot of people when we talk like this go oh we're not going back to the 1950s um, some of us and Jacqueline believes that the 1950s weren't so bad on many levels uh, around some of our traditions what's your belief around that well I'm at present raising a son and a daughter <laughs> and my daughter was born with disability so and I believe that was connected with the agrochemicals so um, she has mild cerebral palsy and that affects her reading because she has poor eye control and she has some other challenges as well. So, And I'm also raising my son in an age where you've got the swipe left, swipe right and you see a lot of girls, he's 14, and I see a lot of girls he's in his peer group that are quite sexually aggressive 
Um, and I find that really challenging. I grew up in an era where Madonna came along and it said, right, everybody be promiscuous. That's fine. Without any of that grounding that says that there's a deep soul connectivity when you have a sexual exchange with somebody. Um, so I guess what I try and do is unpack my own journey forward as a woman again in story. So it, for example, in White Horses, we have scenes where there are sexual abuse and it's like, why did this happen to me? How did this happen to me? Was it my beacon of blonde hair? Was it because I was drunk? You know, all this kind of myriad of questioning. Um, and it comes back down to, I think, women are meant to be intricately connected to seed and soil. And the ancients knew it. There are no male gods of agriculture. There's only feminine deities. And what women would do once the, the community had planted a harvest, they'd go out and get the women to to flash their, their pussies, for want of a Mama Gina word, um, at, at the seed and that they'd just sown because they wanted those crops to grow as high and as fertile as the women's fertility. So I think we've really lost sense of ourselves. We're thinking with our heads too much rather than the, the neurons that we have in our heart and our gut and also in our, um, you know, first energy chakra. So, yeah, or, or centre, if you want to be Dr. Joe Dispenza, you don't say chakra, you say an energy centre. So it's, I think, though, again, there's this powerful surge forward with information sharing and we've just got to kind of be louder, as Marianne Williamson says, with love, be fearless with our love rather than tap into this negative energy, you know. And I, I agree with your beautiful um, Jack, Jackie, you know, that I, I think we, we mustn't cave and emulate men in male systems. We have to really start with a blank canvas and move forward. Well, that was just um, poetry, Rachel. I, I agree with you um, that we still have to honour each other and not go the masculine but um, get into our intuitive as well as our innate intelligence because, you know, we've come from a long line of other women and men who um, lived with that innate intuitiveness. My grandfather was a corn farmer in Iowa, USA, and he knew at the beginning of the chemical revolution when they started to spray arsenic and lead in 38 and 39 as well as DDT in 45, he knew not to do it. He had an innateness that said, this is going to ruin farming. This is going to ruin our soils. And they all laughed at him. That was the sad thing is that they all laughed yeah. at him. Yeah. It's, I know. And there is a lot of um, – they've done, just done a national survey on um, regenerative farmers versus um, – I wouldn't like to say conventional, I'd call it industrialised or call it mm. farming. And the, the regen ability to happiness – lower on social isolation and we've experienced it ourselves here in um, southern Tasmania where Dan and the kids and I are farming regeneratively and over the fence people are kind of judging and criticizing which is you know that's fine that's not not my business but I can really hear it would have been you know your grandfather would have been from the brotherhood of kind men so you've got generations of these these kind men that have been caught Mm. Um, yeah, and I think those kind men need kind women around them that aren't critical or, and we are, like you say, our own needs. We belittle ourselves. You know, when the media knows you not enough, 
Mm. Is there, there's a lot, but again, I just think small serve influence that ripples out. Yeah, ag- agreed. And that's what it is a small circle of influence. It's not changes, it's influences that uh, are needed and collaboration. Um, how many acres do you have uh, um, in southern Tasmania? Yeah, well, we've got, I've got a house and little, um, and 10 acres, which, um, which all around us is sort of bare ground, big irrigation, um, spray cropping, but the 10 acres is now re-establishing itself with native grasses. And, um, so we run, we, the moment we're running our ewes here because we want to keep an eye on them while they have their little lambs. And then Daniel and I share a hundred acres, um, a beautiful little town, um, Richmond in southern Tassie um, and that's only a stone's throw from where we live so we go there every day and we have little Dexter cattle there which we won't sell off farm because we don't believe in that we we want to do direct sell mm. um, yeah we just don't want to stress our animals and that, that we they're not the animals are actually the tools to cycle the carbon. So beef has got a big bad rap and I agree feedlot, feedlotting is just the, an environmental disaster. What we're doing is using our animals to um, stabilise carbon into the soil and cycle nutrients. So that, that's the function of the Dexter cattle. Not so much to say we're beef producers or we're wool producers. It's like we're using grazing animals to re-establish an ecology, ecology that's been decimated over the past 200 years or more. Yeah, it definitely has. And how long did you um, find it took for you to notice a difference between your fence line and your neighbour's fence line? Oh, probably a season. <laughs> it season. That's all. Yeah, ma- yeah, Mother Nature heals really quickly. She knows exactly what to do. So if you just get out of the way, she, she'll do, do that. I mean, it, the, the soil on um, our 100 acres is, is responding less so because it's been managed worse it's had herbicide pesticide fungicide which um and plowing and single species crops which are all big no-nos in our book um so it's responding slow and we've also had no rain but again having said that it's really coming coming to life and we're starting to see birds come back and insects come back and um it's it's really exciting and greening australia we've just put in hundreds of trees and we're going to use natural sequence farming in the waterways and so that we can demonstrate it all around us there's vineyards going in and everyone thinks they look pretty but they spray like you wouldn't believe it's and then we've got commercial lettuce farms there as well um, with the manager knocking on our door for ideas. He's desperate to try and farm on a corporate level using some of these principles. So we're, we're in the box seat really to, to shine a light, I think. You know, not, not saying that in any proud kind of a way, but to have, you know, a, a, a manager of a huge giant corporation knocking on your door to say, we want to farm better, that's really heartening. That's beautiful. You're incredible. I wanted to ask you just on a very outside thing for all our beautiful listeners, um, obviously getting back to the land is one of the most important things, being in nature, being around it and being a part of its uh, evolutionary processes and what works well for us all. 
what would be some of your, I mean, you've mentioned a number of books. Is there any other books that you could recommend that has lit your heart, mind, fire and soul? Is there any podcast in particular that you listen to that you think we should, our listeners might enjoy? Or is there any other people that you love to hear or go and talk to that you could help inspire us with? Oh, well, I, I think it's a must-see to go and see the documentary 2040. Um, and I've got um, Damon's, uh, the director or the producer's um, book, Beside My Bed on 2040, because that, that documentary shows us what's here now in terms of systems and uh, energy systems and agricultural systems. My beautiful um, friend Colin Sice features in that film. So that is a must-see. And I find... Um, I listened to a guy, um, he's Michael Sandler with Inspire Nation. He's American. So, you know, it can be, there's a little bit of cultural kind of misunderstanding there with that kind of heavy, the, the American enthusiasm. We, we Tasmanians are a little bit more low key, but I, I will, I'll plug into him. And I'm a Super Soul Sunday girl as well. I love listening to some of, um, particularly Eckhart Tolle. I think if, if, to read A New Earth is, is a must. I, you know, it, some people aren't ready for it. I, I read it 10 years ago. I wasn't ready for it, um, but but I certainly now know that I am, the journey that I've been on. So, yeah, there's just a few, uh, you know, um, Dr. Christiane Northrup as well for people who may be feeling fear around being female and health issues. I, I find she's, she's gold as well. Mm. They're wonderful um, ones to go and see. I'm actually um, speaking at a sustainability conference and 2040 is being played as part of the conference. So I'll get to see that next Sunday. So thank you. <laughs> oh, terrific. Yeah, I, Colin hadn't seen it and he features a lot in it. And so we took him to the cinema in Hobart um, and he saw it for the first time. So I actually sat in the audience with Cole mm-hmm. and when the lights came up, a man turned around and he said, can I shake your hand, Colin? And he was a climate change scientist in the audience. So, you know, from little things, big things grow. And I really feel we're growing. You know, this Regen Ag and what you ladies are doing with mindfulness and spirituality, it's all part of the path I'm walking as well. So it's just about getting the message out there in any which way we can. We all have a major girl crush on you. <laughs> and we want to know when you're coming to the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> Oh, I think I'm going there quite soon on holiday with my beautiful Daniel. <laughs> so, oh. but, but nothing formal planned other than, you know, having a sit on a beach. <laughs> we want all of your books. Are they on audio just out of interest? Um, yes, they are. And they've, um, I get a lot of um, truck drivers that listen to my stuff. So they're, they're Belinda <sighs> put out some CDs of them and I'm sure they're, they're, they are everywhere. I'm with HarperCollins and my earlier books are with um, Penguin. So you'll find them if you... Google Rachel Treasure and White Horses. I'm particularly that's only just come out, and the 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 men and women coming forward to say one one fellow has read it twice. It's only been out like less than a month, and he's read it twice. And he was heading back to Wagga to change his farming practice. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> that is just Right, we're going to get that book out there and get and get people reading it because this is what we need. We need stories for people to know that you know changes it, it can be done. It can you be know, done and it's exciting. It's all positive. Rachel, when I wanted my husband, sorry, Karen. No, go for it. I was just going to say when I wanted my husband to 
to understand the effects of gluten. I tried and tried and tried for a long time for him to appreciate. He, he could hear it, but he wasn't making the changes. And then I got him the book, Serving to Win, by Novak Djokovic, who talks in there about when he changed his eating style and dropped gluten. And being a top sportsman, Danny just came out and went, oh, I can, I'm not going to eat gluten anymore. And I'm like, oh, hello. So I think sometimes... <laughs> If we get our beautiful men and children even stories, it's it's a beautiful way, or other people saying it, it's a beautiful way to help them to understand maybe what we've been trying to say all along. So thank you for your work. Yeah, it's my it's my joy. It's my honour, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm with the girls 100% there. Rachel, I think you're doing a spectacular job with creating that story so that people can see themselves in it and see what's possible. And I love how... Um, you know, it's almost like there's a conscious and a divine intelligence that's driving you. So you're not just focusing on one aspect of healing. You're, you're looking holistically, which I take my hat off to. I think that's absolutely beautiful. Oh, and I'm sure that everybody who's about to buy all of your books and read all of your books is going to get a really beautiful sense of that holistic approach that you're yeah. taking to the mind, body, and the spirit and the earth. So thank you for what you are and what you're doing. Oh, thank you. And thank you too for, for the podcast. I think it's extraordinary. It's, it's all, all power to us, the, the kind beings. I mean, not to sound self-righteous on that, but I think there is an awakening of human consciousness and we're all part of it. So thank you. Absolutely. Oh, beautiful. Well, what an amazing show we've had today. Guys, please make sure that you jump onto Rachel's website. Now you can Get all of her books. Um, I'm just on her website right now, which is racheltreasure.com. We will also make sure that the link is in our show notes. So if you're out having a run or doing your groceries or doing something else, make sure that you jump over to the show notes and you can find where you can grab um, all of the information that Rachel is sharing with us. And make sure that you follow her. We're going to see you here next week on Up for a Chat. Make sure that you go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. Or you can head over to allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and you can post your comments and your questions there as well. But make sure that you tune in right here next week on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world, one farm, one animal, one life and one love at a time. We're going to see you on the run. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.